For those of you who may have similar ambitions and aspirations as I do to become a billionaire, I offer the following guidelines on taking your company public. The information comes generously from my partner Peter, a person who has taken almost a hundred companies public. He offers six primary reasons to take a company public. First, if you need more money. In this case, you might have an established profitable company and need capital to grow. You've already been to your banker and have raised some funds through private placements and your VC, but now you need really big money from an investment banker. Second, your company, an internet company for example, is new, and you need massive amounts of money to gain market share. The market gives you the money, although your company is unprofitable today because the market is investing in your future earnings. Third, many times a company will use its own company stock to acquire other companies. It is what Rich Dad called printing your own money. In the corporate world, it is called mergers and acquisitions. Fourth, you want to sell your company without giving up control. In a private company, the owner all too often gives up control or gains a new partner who wants to tell him how to run the business when raising capital. By getting the money from the public market, the owner gains cash by selling yet maintains control of the business. Most shareholders have very little power to influence the operations of the company they are invested in. Fifth, estate reasons. Ford Motor Company went public because the family had many heirs but no liquidity. By selling a part of the company to the public, it raised the cash the family needed for the heirs. Sixth, to get rich and have cash to invest elsewhere. Building a business is much like building an apartment house and selling it. When you are building a business for sale through a public offering, however, only a part of the asset is broken off. It is broken into millions of pieces and sold to millions of people. The builder may therefore still own most of the asset, may still maintain control, and may generate a lot of cash by selling it to millions of buyers instead of just one buyer. Talk about good things coming in small packages. It is important to remember that there are restrictions that apply to the major shareholders and officers in a company issuing an IPO. While their holdings in the company may increase dramatically in value as a result of the IPO, they are severely regulated when selling any of their shares. Their stock is usually called restricted, which means they have agreed not to sell it for a predetermined amount of time. A shareholder wanting to cash out might be better served selling the company or merging into another company with free trading shares as opposed to using an IPO. How do you raise money? One of the first ways to raise money is from friends and family. These people love you and will often give you money blindly. My friend Peter does not recommend this method of raising money. Both Peter and Rich Dad have often said, don't give your children money. It keeps them weak and needy. Teach them how to raise money instead. Another method of raising money is to find angels. Angels are rich individuals who have a passion to help new entrepreneurs. Most major cities have angel groups that support budding new entrepreneurs financially, as well as provide advice on how to become rich, young entrepreneurs. You can also seek out private investors. People who invest in private companies are called private investors. These accredited investors are hopefully more sophisticated than the average investor. They stand to gain, as well as lose, the most. Therefore, it is recommended to get both financial education and business experience before investing large sums of money into private companies. Finally, look to public investors. People who invest through publicly traded shares of public companies are called public investors. This is the mass market for securities. Because these investments are marketed to the masses, they generally come under great scrutiny from agencies such as the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Securities traded here are generally less risky than investments done privately. Yet when it comes to investing, there is always risk. 
This may seem to contradict what I said earlier about having more control and therefore less risk as an insider. Please remember, however, that a private investor is not always in control. The SEC requires strict compliance with reporting and disclosure requirements to reduce the risk to a public investor who is definitely not in control of the investment. So, are you the next billionaire? Only one person can answer this question. You. With the right team, the right leader, and a bold and innovative new product, anything is possible. The technology is already in place, or about to be developed soon. Right after I knew that achieving my goal of making my first $1 million was possible, I began thinking about setting the next goal. I knew I could go on to make $10 million doing things much the same way. However, $1 billion would require new skills and a whole new way of thinking. That is why I set the goal despite continuing to come up against much personal self-doubt. Once I had the nerve to set the goal, I began to see how others had made it. If I had not set the goal, I would not have thought it a remote possibility and I would not have come across books and articles about how so many people are achieving that goal. Once I set my sights on becoming a billionaire, I began to find reasons you can become a billionaire today more easily than ever before. Consider some of the reasons why. With just a telephone line, the Internet is making a world of customers available to most of us, and the Internet is creating more business beyond the Internet. Just as Henry Ford created more business as a ripple effect of mass-producing cars, the Internet will magnify its effect. The Internet makes it possible for six billion of us to each become a Henry Ford or Bill Gates. In addition, in the past, the rich and the powerful controlled the media. With technological changes yet to come, the Internet is almost like each of us having the power of owning our own radio and television stations. New inventions breed more new inventions. An explosion of new technology will make other areas of our lives better. Each new technological change will allow more people to develop more new and innovative products. As more people become more prosperous, they will want to invest more and more money into new startup businesses, not only to help the new business, but also to share in the profits. Today, it is hard for most people to grasp the reality that there are literally tens of billions of dollars looking for new innovative companies to invest in every year. It does not have to be high-tech to be a new product. Starbucks made a lot of people rich with just a cup of coffee, and McDonald's became the largest holder of real estate with just a hamburger and fries. Phase 5. Giving it back. There is one investor control that I didn't discuss earlier. In some ways, I've saved the best for last. Recently, a high school classmate of mine, Dan, was passing through town and asked if we could play golf. While riding around on the golf cart, the conversation turned to what we were doing at this stage of our lives. When I told Dan that I had retired and was building businesses, one to take public and one to be held privately, he became very angry. His anger caused him to accuse me of being greedy, thinking only of myself and exploiting the poor. After about an hour of trying to keep my cool, I could take no more. Finally, I said, What causes you to think that the rich are greedy? His reply was, Because all I see are poor people all day long. I never see rich people doing anything for them. Dan is a legal aid attorney for people who cannot afford an attorney. The gap between the haves and have-nots is bigger than ever, and it is not improving. And guys like you make more and more money. You become just as bad as Mike's dad, a greedy rich man who only got richer. Dan's temper began to calm down as the game continued. Finally, at the end of the game, we agreed to meet the next day at the hotel's restaurant, and I would show him something I was working on. The next day, I showed Dan the game. What is the game board for? asked Dan after we were seated at the table. 
showing him the game. I explained my theory that poverty is caused by lack of education. It is a learned condition, I said. It is taught at home. Since school doesn't teach you about money, you'll learn about it at home. So what does this game teach? Dan asked. It teaches the vocabulary of financial literacy, I said. Words are, in my opinion, the most powerful tools or assets we as humans have. The problem that many people have is that they leave home and school and never learn or understand the vocabulary associated with money, resulting in a lifetime of financial struggle. Dan studied the colorful game board. So you plan to end poverty with a board game, he asked sarcastically. No, I chuckled. I'm not that naive or optimistic. I created this game primarily for people who want to become business owners and investors. Cash flow management is a basic skill necessary for anyone who wants to be rich. So you created this game for people who want to be rich, not for the poor, Dan said, his anger rising again. No, 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 I said. I created this game for people who want to be rich regardless if they are rich or poor today. The look on Dan's face softened, if only a little. But my products cannot help anyone, regardless of who they are or what their financial station in life is, unless they first want to be rich. In my world of law and legal aid, I often give advice to people. Many people don't take it, said Dan. I see them again after a year or two and their situation is the same. They're back in jail or they're brought up again on charges for domestic violence or whatever. Advice alone does no good unless the people truly want to change the situations in their lives. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, I said. But I did not show you this game for the getting rich aspect. I want to show you what Rich Dad taught Mike and me about being generous, about giving money back. For the next ten minutes, I explained phase five of Rich Dad's plan, pointing out to Dan that it was a big part of Rich Dad's plan to be generous, to be charitable. I said to Dan as I pointed to the game board, Mike's dad taught us five distinct phases of wealth and money. Phase five was the responsibility of giving money back after you made it. Mike's dad strongly believed that to make money and hoard it was a misuse of the power of money. Show me what you mean on the game board, Dan said. I then pointed to the pinkish-colored squares on the fast track of the board game. The board game consists of two different tracks, one circular track on the inside known as the rat race and the outer more rectangular track known as the fast track, which is where the rich invest. These pink squares are phase five, I said, pointing to one of the squares. A kid's library, Dan read out aloud as he read the corner square where my finger was pointing. I then pointed at another square. A research center for cancer, Dan read aloud. And so is this square, I said, moving my finger and pointing to another square. A gift of faith, Dan said, reading the line just below where my finger was pointing. You mean you built charitable squares into the fast track, asked Dan. The investment track of the very rich? Nodding my head, I said, yes. There are two kinds of dreams on the fast track. Dreams for personal indulgence and dreams for creating a better world with your excessive wealth. Dan shook his head slowly, saying, You mean Mike's dad taught you and Mike to be charitable as well as rich? I nodded my head as I quickly pointed to all the different charitable dreams found on the fast track of the game board. Rich Dad said one of the most important controls an investor had was the control over returning most of the money back to society. He had a reputation as a rich, greedy man, said Dan. Many people said terrible things about him, about how greedy he was. That is what most people thought, I replied. Yet Mike and I knew differently. The more money he made, the more money he gave away. But he gave it away quietly. I did not know that, said Dan. So his last years were dedicated to giving all the money he amassed back to society. Well, not all of it, I said. He did leave some for his children. The point I want to make is that many people have this belief that the rich are greedy. That belief blinds them to the truth or the reality that not all the rich are greedy. 
If you open your eyes, you will see that many of the very rich have made tremendous financial contributions to society. Look at what Andrew Carnegie has given back through libraries, Henry Ford through his Ford Foundation, and the Rockefellers through the Rockefeller Foundation. My hero, George Soros, the founder of the Quantum Fund, is today dedicating massive amounts of money in the hopes of creating a global society and promoting greater financial understanding amongst nations. But often all we hear about are the nasty things political leaders say about him and his hedge fund. What did your rich dad give to? asked Dan. Since his own father died of cancer, Rich Dad's foundation gave tremendous amounts of money to cancer research. He also built a cancer ward in a small country hospital so the country people could be closer to their loved ones when they were hospitalized. Being a very religious man, he also built a classroom building for his church so the church could have a larger Sunday school for kids. And he was a patron of the arts, acquiring artwork from many talented artists as well as donating money to the museums. The best thing is that his foundation is so well directed that even after his death, it continues to earn and donate money. Even in death, he is still doing a lot of good for society. The trusts and foundations he set up will be providing money for many worthy causes for years to come. I wish more people did that, said Dan. Oh, there will be more people giving more money back, I said. Just look at this baby boomer generation. Many were hippies in the 60s, and they are fast becoming multimillionaires today. In a few years, the revolution they were a part of will be in full force with cash flow. Many of these one-time hippies and others of that generation are very socially responsible people. What they learned from the 60s, their poor college days, will be brought to fruition in the next few years. Their ideals, coupled with their wealth, will be a powerful financial, political, and social force in the world. I think that they will do the charitable deeds our government cannot afford to do today. Many rich boomers will be completing socially responsible deeds they wanted to perform when they were poor, but now they're rich. What makes you think they will be generous? asked Dan. Because it is already happening, I replied. Ted Turner pledged a billion dollars to the UN and chided people like Bill Gates and others for not being generous enough. In less than three years after that challenge, Bill Gates alone has pledged four billion dollars to various causes, and Gates is still a young man. Can you imagine how much he will be donating in his later years? But wasn't that because he was on trial with the federal government? asked Dan. He's just giving money so he can look good. Well, many of the reporters like to point that out in the articles they write about his generosity. But let me ask you this. How many reporters are giving away $4 billion? I asked quietly. The facts are, in 1999 alone, Bill Gates had a full-time staff to give away $325 million. How many reporters were giving away $325 million in 1999? So even if it took an encouraging nudge from Ted Turner, the fact remains that he is giving money away. And the fact remains that this baby boomer generation of wealthy entrepreneurs will be pressuring each other to be generous. It will be very socially uncool to be rich and not be generous. So Mike's dad was a generous man, and he taught you and Mike to be generous. I nodded my head. And even though many people in town criticized him for being rich, he continued to give quietly. Being generous made financial sense to him as well as giving him pleasure. I really did not know that. Dan said quietly and almost reverently, having perceived him differently. And giving money away made him happy? I nodded my head. In the last few days of his life, I saw a peace come over him that I had never seen before. He had done a lot of good during life, and he was continuing to do good when his life was over. His life was complete. In conclusion, why it doesn't take money to make money anymore. Recently, while teaching an investment class, I was asked, what Internet company would you recommend I invest in? I replied, 
Why invest in someone else's internet company? Why don't you start your own internet company and ask people to invest in it? The world is 10 years old. On October 11, 1998, Merrill Lynch ran a full-page ad in several of the larger American newspapers, announcing that the world was just 10 years old. Why just 10 years old? Because it had been approximately 10 years since the Berlin Wall had come down. Tearing down the Berlin Wall is the event some economic historians use to mark the end of the Industrial Age and the beginning of the Information Age. Until the Information Age, most people had to be investors from the outside. Now that the world is just over 10 years old, more and more people can invest from the inside rather than from the outside. When I answered, why invest in someone else's Internet company? Why not start your own Internet company? I meant, it is now the Information Age. So why not become an insider instead of an outsider? Three Ages In the agrarian age, the rich were those who owned a castle that overlooked large tracts of fertile agricultural land. These people were known as the monarchs and the nobles. If you were not born into this group, you were an outsider with very little chance of becoming an insider. The 90-10 rule controlled life. Therefore, the 10% who were in power were there because of marriage, birth, or conquest. The other 90% were serfs or peasants who worked the land but owned nothing. During the agrarian age, if you were a good, hard-working person, you were respected. The idea of being diligent was handed down from parent to child. It was also when the idle rich began to be loathed. 90% of the people worked to support the other 10% who appeared not to be working. That idea was also handed down from parent to child. These ideas continued to be popular, and are still handed down from generation to generation. Then came the Industrial Age, and wealth shifted from agricultural land to real estate. Improvements such as buildings, factories, warehouses, mines, and residential homes for the workers were placed on top of the land. Improvements. Suddenly, rich, fertile agricultural land dropped in value because the wealth shifted to the owners of the buildings upon the land. In fact, an interesting thing happened. Suddenly, rich, fertile land became less valuable than rocky land, where farming was difficult. Rocky land suddenly became more valuable because it was cheaper than fertile land. It could also hold taller buildings such as skyscrapers or factories, and it often contained resources such as oil, iron, copper that fueled the industrial age. When the shift in ages occurred, many farmers' net worth went down. To maintain their standard of living, they had to work harder and farm more land than before. It was during the Industrial Age that the go-to-school-so-you-can-find-a-job idea became popular. In the Agrarian Age, a formal education was not necessary since professions were handed down from parent to child. Bakers taught their children to be bakers and so on. Near the end of this era, the idea of a job or the idea of one job for life became popularized. You went to school, got that one job for life, worked your way up the corporate ladder or up the union ladder, and when you retired, the company and the government took care of your needs. In the Industrial Age, those not of noble birth could become the rich and powerful. Rags-to-riches stories spurred on the ambitious. Entrepreneurs started with nothing and became billionaires. When Henry Ford decided to mass-produce the automobile, he found some cheap, rocky land that farmers did not want near a small town known as Detroit, and an industry was born. The Ford family became, in essence, the new nobility and anyone around them who did business with them also became the new, rich nobility. New names became as prestigious as those of kings and queens, names such as Rockefeller, Stanford, and Carnegie. People often respected as well as despised them for their great wealth and power. In the Industrial Age, as during the Agrarian Age, however, only a few controlled most of the wealth. 
the 90-10 rule still held true, although this time the 10% was not determined by birth, but by determination itself. The 90-10 rule held true simply because it took great effort and coordination, as well as a lot of money, people, land, and power to build and control the wealth. For example, to start an automobile company or an oil or mining company is still capital-intensive. It takes massive amounts of money, lots of land, and many smart, formally educated people to build that type of company. On top of that, you often must get through years of bureaucratic red tape, such as environmental studies, trade agreements, labor laws, and so on, to get such a business off the ground. In the industrial age, the standard of living went up for most people, but the control of real wealth continued to remain in the hands of a few. The rules have changed. The 90-10 rule has changed. When the Berlin Wall came down and the World Wide Web went up, many of the rules changed. One of the most important rules that changed was the 90-10 rule. Although it's likely that only 10% of the population will always control 90% of the money, the access or the opportunity to join that 10% has changed. The World Wide Web has changed what it costs to join the 10%. Today, it does not take being born into a royal family as it did in the agrarian age. It does not require massive sums of money, land, and people to join the 10%. The price of admission today is an idea, and ideas are free. In the information age, all it takes is information or ideas to become very, very wealthy. It is therefore possible for individuals who are financially obscure one year to be on the list of the richest people in the world the next. Such people often fly past individuals who made their money in the ages gone by. College students who never had a job become billionaires. High school students will surpass their college student counterparts. For the very first time in world history, the 90-10 rule to wealth may no longer apply. No longer does it take money to make money. No longer does it take vast tracts of land or resources to become rich. No longer does it take friends in high places to become rich. No longer does it matter if your relatives came over on the Mayflower. It does not matter what university you went to or what sex, race, or religion you are part of. Nowadays, all it takes is an idea. And as Rich Dad has always said, money is an idea. For some people, however, the hardest thing to change is an old idea. There is an old truth to the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think a more accurate saying is, you can't teach someone who clings to old ideas new tricks, whether they are young or old. So when I'm asked, what internet company would you invest in? I still reply, why not invest in your own internet company? I am not necessarily suggesting the questioners start internet companies. All I'm doing is asking them to consider the idea the possibility of starting their own companies. In fact, many franchise and network marketing opportunities are now available on the Internet. When people simply consider the idea of starting their own B-quadrant business, their minds shift from hard work and physical limits to the possibility of unlimited wealth. All it takes is the idea, and we are in the age of ideas. I'm not suggesting that such people quit their jobs and leap into starting companies, but I do suggest that they keep their full-time jobs and consider starting businesses part-time. Following in your parents' footsteps. Many people struggle financially simply because they have their parents' ideas about money. Many people go to school and get good jobs because that is what their parents did or advised them to do. Many struggle financially or live paycheck to paycheck. If a person truly wants to change, adopting a better idea is often a good idea. Rich Dad always said, if you want to get rich faster, simply look for ideas that are better than the ones you're using today. That's why to this day, I read biographies of rich entrepreneurs, listen to audio tapes of their lives, and reflect on their lives and ideas. As Rich Dad said, ideas need not be new. They just need to be better. 
and a rich person is always looking for a better idea. The most important investment you can make is an investment in ongoing education. So keep searching, keep challenging your old ideas, and you will be rich and gain your financial freedom. This has been a Time Warner Audiobooks production of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, written by Robert T. Kiyosaki, with Sharon L. Lecter, CPA, and read by Jim Ward. Executive Producer, Maya Thomas. Produced and directed by Arthur G. Insana. Text abridged by John Whitman. And edited by William Whittington. Production coordinated by Dennis Kao. Engineered, edited, and mixed by John Kovarek. Rich Dad's Guide to Investing is also available in paperback from Warner Business Books. Here's a sample from the audio bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class do not. Written by Robert T. Kiyosaki with Sharon L. Lecter, CPA. Dad, can you tell me how to get rich? My dad put down the evening paper. Why do you want to get rich, son? Because today Jimmy's mom drove up in their new Cadillac and... They were going to their beach house for the weekend. He took three of his friends, but Mike and I weren't invited. They told us we weren't invited because we were poor kids. They did? My dad asked incredulously. Yeah, they did, I replied in a hurt tone. My dad silently shook his head, pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose, and went back to reading his paper. I stood waiting for an answer. The year was 1956. I was nine years old. By some twist of fate, I attended the same public school where the rich people sent their kids. We were primarily a sugar plantation town. The managers of the plantation and the other affluent people of the town, such as doctors, business owners, and bankers, sent their children to this school, grades one to six. After grade six, their children were generally sent off to private schools. Because my family lived on one side of the street, I went to this school. Had I lived on the other side of the street, I would have gone to a different school with kids from families more like mine. After grade six, these kids and I would go on to the public intermediate and high school. There was no private school for them or for me. My dad finally put down the paper. Well, son, he began slowly, if you want to be rich, you have to learn to make money. How do I make money, I asked. Well, use your head, son, he said, smiling. Which really meant, that's all I'm going to tell you, or uh, I don't know the answer, so don't embarrass me. The next morning, I told my best friend Mike what my dad had said. As best I could tell, Mike and I were the only poor kids in this school. Mike was like me in that he was in this school by a twist of fate. Someone had drawn a jog in a line for the school district, and we wound up in school with the rich kids. So what do we do to make money, Mike asked. I don't know, I said. But do you want to be my partner? He agreed. And so on that Saturday morning, Mike became my first business partner. We spent all morning coming up with ideas on how to make money. Finally, that afternoon, a bolt of lightning came through our heads. 
It was an idea that Mike had gotten from a science book he'd read. Excitedly, we shook hands, and the partnership now had a business. For the next several weeks, Mike and I ran around our neighborhood, knocking on doors and asking our neighbors if they'd save their toothpaste tubes for us. With puzzled looks, most adults consented with a smile. Some asked us what we were doing, to which we replied, We can't tell you. It's a business secret. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is also available in paperback from Warner Business Books. Here's a sample from audio bestseller Rich Dad's Cash Flow Quadrant, a guide to financial freedom. Written by Robert T. Kiyosaki with Sharon L. Lecter, CPA. When people ask why Kim and I were homeless back in 1985, I tell them it was because of what my rich dad taught me about money. For me, money is important, yet I did not want to spend my life working for it. That is why I did not want a job. If we were going to be responsible citizens, Kim and I wanted to have our money work for us rather than spend our lives physically working for money. That is why the cash flow quadrant is so important. It distinguishes between the different ways in which money is generated. There are ways of being responsible and creating money other than physically working for it. But in order to embrace wealth, it is essential to understand your relation to it. My highly educated dad had a strong belief that the love of money was evil, that to profit excessively meant you were greedy. He often said, I'll never be rich, or investing is risky, or money isn't everything. My rich dad had a different point of view. He thought it foolish to spend your life working for money and pretend that money was not important. Rich dad believed that life was more important than money, but money was important for supporting life. He often said, you only have so many hours a day and you can only work so hard. So why work hard for money? Learn to have money and people work hard for you and you can be free to do the things that are important. To my rich dad, what was important was to have lots of time to raise his kids, to have money to donate to charities and projects he supported, to bring jobs and financial stability to the community, to have time and money to take care of his health, and to be able to travel the world with his family. Those things take money, said rich dad. That is why money is important to me. Money is important, but I don't want to spend my life working for it. It was my rich dad who often referred to the cash flow quadrant when I was a young boy. He would explain to me the difference between someone who was successful on the left side versus the right side. Having two dynamic and successful father figures around me gave meaning to what each was saying. But it was what they were doing that allowed me to begin to notice the differences between the ES side of the quadrant and the BI side. One painful lesson I experienced as a young boy was simply how much time one dad had available to spend with me versus the other. As the success and prominence of both dads grew, it was obvious that one dad had less and less time to spend with his wife and four children. My real dad was always on the road, at meetings, or dashing off to the airport for more meetings. The more successful he got, the fewer dinners we had together as a family. Weekends he spent at home in his crowded little office buried under paperwork. My rich dad, on the other hand, had more and more free time as his success grew. One of the reasons I learned so much about money, finance, business, and life was simply because my rich dad had more and more free time for his children and me. Rich Dad's Cash Flow Quadrant is also available in paperback from Warner Business Books. 
Here's a sample from Rich Dad's Rich Kid Smart Kid, giving your children a financial head start. The latest book from the New York Times best-selling authors Robert T. Kiyosaki and Sharon L. Lecter, CPA. When I was a little boy, my rich dad often said, "Money is an idea." He would go on to say, "Money can be anything you want it to be. If you say I'll never be rich, then the chances are you'll never be rich. If you say I can't afford it, then chances are you can't." My smart dad said much the same about education. Is it possible that every child is born with the potential to be rich and smart? This program is about fostering and preserving that possibility. Both my dads were great teachers. Both men were smart men, but they were not smart in the same subjects, and they did not teach the same things. Yet, as different as they were, both dads believed the same things about all kids. Both dads believed all kids are born smart and all kids are born rich. They both believed a child learns to be poor and learns to believe that he or she is less smart than other kids. Both dads were great teachers because they believed in bringing out the genius that each child is born with. In other words, they did not believe in putting knowledge in; they believed in bringing the child's genius out. Both my dads were great teachers because they rarely tried to cram their ideas into my head. They often said very little, waiting instead for me to ask when I wanted to know something. Or they asked me questions, seeking to find out what I knew, rather than simply telling me what they knew. And not to forget the moms. My mom was a great teacher and role model, also. She was my teacher for unconditional love, kindness, and the importance of caring for other people. I once heard that boys marry women just like their moms, and I would say that is true for me. My wife Kim is also an extremely kind and loving person. I did not know my best friend Mike's mom very well. Yet the times I was over at their home, Mike's mother was also very kind and attentive to what we were doing. Although a very private person, she was always interested in what Mike and I were learning at school and in the business. I could tell she was a great life partner for Mike's dad. Although I did not know her very well, I learned from her the importance of listening to others, letting others talk, and being respectful of the ideas of others, even if they clash with your ideas. She was a great communicator in a very quiet way. Lessons from my mom and dad. The number of single-parent families I see today concerns me. Having both a mom and a dad as teachers was important in my development. My dad would often say, "True intelligence is knowing what is appropriate rather than what is simply right or wrong." As a six-year-old boy, I learned from my mom that I needed to be kind and gentle. But when I found myself constantly confronted by bullies at school, I also learned that I could at times be too kind and gentle. I hated being called fatty and dumbo. Consequently, after talking with my dad, I learned to be strong and to stand up for myself. But there had to be balance. My father told me that many people live in a black and white world or a right and wrong world. Many say don't push back, and some say push back. The key to being successful in life is if you must push back, you need to know exactly how hard to push. When I got pushed or put down, I learned exactly how hard to push back. Knowing exactly how hard to push requires much more intelligence than simply saying "don't push back" or "push back." My dad would often say, "True intelligence is knowing what is appropriate rather than what is right or wrong." I think today we need to be more intelligent with our strengths and our weaknesses. It used to be when I was a kid and I got angry with another guy at school, we would begin to wrestle, get tired, and then the fight would be over. 
The worst that happened was an occasional torn shirt or bloody nose. Today, kids get angry, start thinking in the less intelligent right and wrong mode, break out their guns and shoot each other. We may be in the information age and kids may be more worldly than their parents, but we can all learn to be more intelligent with our information and our emotions. We need to learn from both our mothers and fathers. Because of so much more information, we need to be that much more intelligent. Rich Dad's Rich Kids Smart Kid is also available in paperback from Warner Business Books. For those of you who may have similar ambitions and aspirations as I do to become a billionaire, I offer the following guidelines on taking your company public. The information comes generously from my partner Peter, a person who has taken almost a hundred companies public. He offers six primary reasons to take a company public. First, if you need more money. In this case, you might have an established profitable company and need capital to grow. You've already been to your banker and have raised some funds through private placements and your VC but now you need really big money from an investment banker. Second, your company, an internet company for example, is new and you need massive amounts of money to gain market share. The market gives you the money, although your company is unprofitable today because the market is investing in your future earnings. Third, many times a company will use its own company stock to acquire other companies. It is what Rich Dad called printing your own money. In the corporate world, it is called mergers and acquisitions. Fourth, you want to sell your company without giving up control. In a private company, the owner all too often gives up control or gains a new partner who wants to tell him how to run the business when raising capital. By getting the money from the public market, the owner gains cash by selling yet maintains control of the business. Most shareholders have very little power to influence the operations of the company they are invested in. Fifth, estate reasons. Ford Motor Company went public because the family had many heirs but no liquidity. By selling a part of the company to the public, it raised the cash the family needed for the heirs. Sixth, to get rich and have cash to invest elsewhere. Building a business is much like building an apartment house and selling it. When you are building a business for sale through a public offering, however, only a part of the asset is broken off. It is broken into millions of pieces and sold to millions of people. The builder may therefore still own most of the asset, may still maintain control, and may generate a lot of cash by selling it to millions of buyers instead of just one buyer. Talk about good things coming in small packages. It is important to remember that there are restrictions that apply to the major shareholders and officers in a company issuing an IPO. While their holdings in the company may increase dramatically in value as a result of the IPO, they are severely regulated when selling any of their shares. Their stock is usually called restricted, which means they have agreed not to sell it for a predetermined amount of time. A shareholder wanting to cash out might be better served selling the company or merging into another company with free trading shares as opposed to using an IPO. How do you raise money? One of the first ways to raise money is from friends and family. These people love you and will often give you money blindly. My friend Peter does not recommend this method of raising money. Both Peter and Rich Dad have often said, don't give your children money. It keeps them weak and needy. Teach them how to raise money instead. Another method of raising money is to find angels. 
Angels are rich individuals who have a passion to help new entrepreneurs. Most major cities have angel groups that support budding new entrepreneurs financially, as well as provide advice on how to become rich, young entrepreneurs. You can also seek out private investors. People who invest in private companies are called private investors. These accredited investors are hopefully more sophisticated than the average investor. They stand to gain, as well as lose, the most. Therefore, it is recommended to get both financial education and business experience before investing large sums of money into private companies. Finally, look to public investors. People who invest through publicly traded shares of public companies are called public investors. This is the mass market for securities. Because these investments are marketed to the masses, they generally come under great scrutiny from agencies such as the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Securities traded here are generally less risky than investments done privately. Yet when it comes to investing, there is always risk. This may seem to contradict what I said earlier about having more control and therefore less risk as an insider. Please remember, however, that a private investor is not always in control. The SEC requires strict compliance with reporting and disclosure requirements to reduce the risk to a public investor who is definitely not in control of the investment. So, are you the next billionaire? Only one person can answer this question. You. With the right team, the right leader, and a bold and innovative new product, anything is possible. The technology is already in place, or about to be developed soon. Right after I knew that achieving my goal of making my first $1 million was possible, I began thinking about setting the next goal. I knew I could go on to make $10 million doing things much the same way. However, $1 billion would require new skills and a whole new way of thinking. That is why I set the goal despite continuing to come up against much personal self-doubt. Once I had the nerve to set the goal, I began to see how others had made it. If I had not set the goal, I would not have thought it a remote possibility and I would not have come across books and articles about how so many people are achieving that goal. Once I set my sights on becoming a billionaire, I began to find reasons you can become a billionaire today more easily than ever before. Consider some of the reasons why. With just a telephone line, the Internet is making a world of customers available to most of us, and the Internet is creating more business beyond the Internet. Just as Henry Ford created more business as a ripple effect of mass-producing cars, the Internet will magnify its effect. The Internet makes it possible for six billion of us to each become a Henry Ford or Bill Gates. In addition, in the past, the rich and the powerful controlled the media. With technological changes yet to come, the Internet is almost like each of us having the power of owning our own radio and television stations. New inventions breed more new inventions. An explosion of new technology will make other areas of our lives better. Each new technological change will allow more people to develop more new and innovative products. As more people become more prosperous, they will want to invest more and more money into new startup businesses, not only to help the new business, but also to share in the profits. Today, it is hard for most people to grasp the reality that there are literally tens of billions of dollars looking for new innovative companies to invest in every year. It does not have to be high-tech to be a new product. Starbucks made a lot of people rich with just a cup of coffee, and McDonald's became the largest holder of real estate with just a hamburger and fries. For those of you who may have similar ambitions and aspirations as I do to become a billionaire, I offer the following guidelines on taking your company public. The information comes generously from my partner, Peter, a person who has taken almost a hundred companies public. 
he offers six primary reasons to take a company public. First, if you need more money. In this case, you might have an established, profitable company and need capital to grow. You've already been to your banker and have raised some funds through private placements and your VC, but now you need really big money from an investment banker. Second, your company, an Internet company, for example, is new, and you need massive amounts of money to gain market share. The market gives you the money, although your company is unprofitable today because the market is investing in your future earnings. Third, many times a company will use its own company stock to acquire other companies. It is what Rich Dad called printing your own money. In the corporate world, it is called mergers and acquisitions. Fourth, you want to sell your company without giving up control. In a private company, the owner all too often gives up control or gains a new partner who wants to tell him how to run the business when raising capital. By getting the money from the public market, the owner gains cash by selling yet maintains control of the business. Most shareholders have very little power to influence the operations of the company they are invested in. Fifth, estate reasons. Ford Motor Company went public because the family had many heirs but no liquidity. By selling a part of the company to the public, it raised the cash the family needed for the heirs. Sixth, to get rich and have cash to invest elsewhere. Building a business is much like building an apartment house and selling it. When you are building a business for sale through a public offering, however, only a part of the asset is broken off. It is broken into millions of pieces and sold to millions of people. The builder may therefore still own most of the asset, may still maintain control, and may generate a lot of cash by selling it to millions of buyers instead of just one buyer. Talk about good things coming in small packages. It is important to remember that there are restrictions that apply to the major shareholders and officers in a company issuing an IPO. While their holdings in the company may increase dramatically in value as a result of the IPO, they are severely regulated when selling any of their shares. Their stock is usually called restricted, which means they have agreed not to sell it for a predetermined amount of time. A shareholder wanting to cash out might be better served selling the company or merging into another company with free trading shares as opposed to using an IPO. How do you raise money? One of the first ways to raise money is from friends and family. These people love you and will often give you money blindly. My friend Peter does not recommend this method of raising money. Both Peter and Rich Dad have often said, don't give your children money. It keeps them weak and needy. Teach them how to raise money instead. Another method of raising money is to find angels. Angels are rich individuals who have a passion to help new entrepreneurs. Most major cities have angel groups that support budding new entrepreneurs financially, as well as provide advice on how to become rich, young entrepreneurs. You can also seek out private investors. People who invest in private companies are called private investors. These accredited investors are hopefully more sophisticated than the average investor. They stand to gain, as well as lose, the most. Therefore, it is recommended to get both financial education and business experience before investing large sums of money into private companies. Finally, look to public investors. People who invest through publicly traded shares of public companies are called public investors. This is the mass market for securities. Because these investments are marketed to the masses, they generally come under great scrutiny from agencies such as the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Securities traded here are generally less risky than investments done privately. Yet, when it comes to investing, there is always risk. This may seem to contradict what I said earlier about having more control and therefore less risk as an insider. Please remember, however, that a private investor is not always in control. 
The SEC requires strict compliance with reporting and disclosure requirements to reduce the risk to a public investor who is definitely not in control of the investment. So, are you the next billionaire? Only one person can answer this question. You. With the right team, the right leader, and a bold and innovative new product, anything is possible. The technology is already in place, or about to be developed soon. Right after I knew that achieving my goal of making my first $1 million was possible, I began thinking about setting the next goal. I knew I could go on to make $10 million doing things much the same way. However, $1 billion would require new skills and a whole new way of thinking. That is why I set the goal despite continuing to come up against much personal self-doubt. Once I had the nerve to set the goal, I began to see how others had made it. If I had not set the goal, I would not have thought it a remote possibility and I would not have come across books and articles about how so many people are achieving that goal. Once I set my sights on becoming a billionaire, I began to find reasons you can become a billionaire today more easily than ever before. Consider some of the reasons why. With just a telephone line, the Internet is making a world of customers available to most of us, and the Internet is creating more business beyond the Internet. Just as Henry Ford created more business as a ripple effect of mass-producing cars, the Internet will magnify its effect. The Internet makes it possible for six billion of us to each become a Henry Ford or Bill Gates. In addition, in the past, the rich and the powerful controlled the media. With technological changes yet to come, the Internet is almost like each of us having the power of owning our own radio and television stations. New inventions breed more new inventions. An explosion of new technology will make other areas of our lives better. Each new technological change will allow more people to develop more new and innovative products. As more people become more prosperous, they will want to invest more and more money into new startup businesses, not only to help the new business, but also to share in the profits. Today, it is hard for most people to grasp the reality that there are literally tens of billions of dollars looking for new innovative companies to invest in every year. It does not have to be high-tech to be a new product. Starbucks made a lot of people rich with just a cup of coffee, and McDonald's became the largest holder of real estate with just a hamburger and fries. For those of you who may have similar ambitions and aspirations as I do to become a billionaire, I offer the following guidelines on taking your company public. The information comes generously from my partner, Peter, a person who has taken almost a hundred companies public. He offers six primary reasons to take a company public. First, if you need more money. In this case, you might have an established, profitable company and need capital to grow. You've already been to your banker and have raised some funds through private placements and your VC, but now you need really big money from an investment banker. Second, your company, an Internet company, for example, is new, and you need massive amounts of money to gain market share. The market gives you the money, although your company is unprofitable today because the market is investing in your future earnings. Third, many times a company will use its own company stock to acquire other companies. It is what Rich Dad called printing your own money. In the corporate world, it is called mergers and acquisitions. Fourth, you want to sell your company without giving up control. In a private company, the owner all too often gives up control or gains a new partner who wants to tell him how to run the business when raising capital. By getting the money from the public market, the owner gains cash by selling yet maintains control of the business. Most shareholders have very little power to influence the operations of the company they are invested in. Fifth, estate reasons. 
Ford Motor Company went public because the family had many heirs but no liquidity. By selling a part of the company to the public, it raised the cash the family needed for the heirs. Sixth, to get rich and have cash to invest elsewhere. Building a business is much like building an apartment house and selling it. When you are building a business for sale through a public offering, however, only a part of the asset is broken off. It is broken into millions of pieces and sold to millions of people. The builder may therefore still own most of the asset, may still maintain control, and may generate a lot of cash by selling it to millions of buyers instead of just one buyer. Talk about good things coming in small packages. It is important to remember that there are restrictions that apply to the major shareholders and officers in a company issuing an IPO. While their holdings in the company may increase dramatically in value as a result of the IPO, they are severely regulated when selling any of their shares. Their stock is usually called restricted, which means they have agreed not to sell it for a predetermined amount of time. A shareholder wanting to cash out might be better served selling the company or merging into another company with free trading shares as opposed to using an IPO. How do you raise money? One of the first ways to raise money is from friends and family. These people love you and will often give you money blindly. My friend Peter does not recommend this method of raising money. Both Peter and Rich Dad have often said, don't give your children money. It keeps them weak and needy. Teach them how to raise money instead. Another method of raising money is to find angels. Angels are rich individuals who have a passion to help new entrepreneurs. Most major cities have angel groups that support budding new entrepreneurs financially, as well as provide advice on how to become rich, young entrepreneurs. You can also seek out private investors. People who invest in private companies are called private investors. These accredited investors are hopefully more sophisticated than the average investor. They stand to gain, as well as lose, the most. Therefore, it is recommended to get both financial education and business experience before investing large sums of money into private companies. Finally, look to public investors. People who invest through publicly traded shares of public companies are called public investors. This is the mass market for securities. Because these investments are marketed to the masses, they generally come under great scrutiny from agencies such as the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Securities traded here are generally less risky than investments done privately. Yet when it comes to investing, there is always risk. This may seem to contradict what I said earlier about having more control and therefore less risk as an insider. Please remember, however, that a private investor is not always in control. The SEC requires strict compliance with reporting and disclosure requirements to reduce the risk to a public investor who is definitely not in control of the investment. So, are you the next billionaire? Only one person can answer this question. You. With the right team, the right leader, and a bold and innovative new product, anything is possible. The technology is already in place, or about to be developed soon. Right after I knew that achieving my goal of making my first $1 million was possible, I began thinking about setting the next goal. I knew I could go on to make $10 million doing things much the same way. However, $1 billion would require new skills and a whole new way of thinking. That is why I set the goal despite continuing to come up against much personal self-doubt. Once I had the nerve to set the goal, I began to see how others had made it. If I had not set the goal, I would not have thought it a remote possibility and I would not have come across books and articles about how so many people are achieving that goal. Once I set my sights on becoming a billionaire, I began to find reasons you can become a billionaire today more easily than ever before. Consider some of the reasons why. 
With just a telephone line, the Internet is making a world of customers available to most of us. And the Internet is creating more business beyond the Internet. Just as Henry Ford created more business as a ripple effect of mass-producing cars, the Internet will magnify its effect. The Internet makes it possible for six billion of us to each become a Henry Ford or Bill Gates. In addition, in the past, the rich and the powerful controlled the media. With technological changes yet to come, the Internet is almost like each of us having the power of owning our own radio and television stations. New inventions breed more new inventions. An explosion of new technology will make other areas of our lives better. Each new technological change will allow more people to develop more new and innovative products. As more people become more prosperous, they will want to invest more and more money into new startup businesses, not only to help the new business, but also to share in the profits. Today, it is hard for most people to grasp the reality that there are literally tens of billions of dollars looking for new innovative companies to invest in every year. It does not have to be high-tech to be a new product. Starbucks made a lot of people rich with just a cup of coffee, and McDonald's became the largest holder of real estate with just a hamburger and fries.